0: give us ears to hear, and a heart that's open as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Thank you, worship team. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I invite you to, uh, if you've got a copy of your worship folder, or your program, if you would take a moment and just look inside, there are a number of things to be aware of, and uh, we won't take time this morning to go through them, but will you take time to go through them, because there are many things that all of us should be aware of, and so I just want to encourage you, uh, some upcoming things, there's the 55 and over sweetheart dinner that's coming up next Sunday, immediately following service, everybody is invited up to Godfather's Pizza we would love to have the whole family come. It would be great someone say amen. I know you all love pizza. It's like its own food group. It's great. So we invite you to come and be a part of just some fellowship. It's a no-host lunch and fellowship, and so we want you to come and be a part. The information for Heart for the House, our building project and our the purchase of the property at the bottom of the hill, there's information at the back table in that far corner uh, to my immediate left. encourage you to stop by there. There's a men's fellowship breakfast coming up. The mission's dessert social. Uh, there's a spring break short-term mission trip. There's a youth retreat coming up. Men's retreat, women's retreat dates. There's an Easter egg hunt outreach. There's a downtown outreach. Lots and lots of stuff. encourage you to stop by our mission table out in the foyer as well and get some information about what Hillside is doing with others globally and right here in our own community. Matthew mentioned, Pastor Matt mentioned, that we had that outreach on Friday night over at the Wichita Family Support Center. It's part of the North Clackamas School District. And we do an outreach there on the third Friday night of every month. We make a warm meal for those who are in circumstances that might be different than our circumstances. And we provide a nice meal. We actually provide a little bit of entertainment sometimes. Certainly Friday night, we had some entertainment. It was a great time. And we share the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to invite people to know the Lord. And so if you've not been a part of one of those, please, please, please ask us about being a part. We would love to get you information on that. Well, this morning, as you're turning in your Bibles, and I would invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 9, I will do a quick review. But before we do that, you're going. Please turn there. I felt like in our time of worship, perhaps a scripture to go with what Jill shared, and kind of that atmosphere of maybe you've been uh, hurt, maybe you've been let down by parents, maybe there has been an abandonment moment. Perhaps parents, uh, it's your parents, maybe it's a family uh, kind of a generational thing, or maybe there's been some other letdown, and In your life, you've reflected that in relationship even to your Heavenly Father. That maybe He won't be there for you. And I'm encouraged by what the Word of the Lord is in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God is near. God is near. The scripture encourages us to draw near to him and he will draw near to us. I don't know where each one of us individually may be in relationship to the Lord. My encouragement to you today is that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Bible inspires us call upon the Lord. Call upon Him while He is near. Seek the Lord while He may be found, and call upon Him while He is near. So that's an encouragement, I hope, for you. In, in Revelation this morning, and by way of catch-up, if you're new with us this morning, we are simply walking through the New Testament right now. We do a chapter a week most of the time, and we are in Revelation chapter 9. We're coming to the end, if you will, of the book. And the beauty of the book of Revelation is, Much like a textbook you might have in high school, when you get to the last chapter, generally you discover all the answers are in the back of the book. And so this is how it is with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a summation, certainly, of the work of God in the universe. And so we are discovering some of the things that will be transpiring in our future, in the future and i believe that the signs with which we live in today would be pointing to we are living in what is known as the last days the last days and so we come to revelation and we've looked at already revelation chapter 1 through 7 8 and now we come into 9 we've seen already a number of things transpire we've seen really some of the epics of history outlined for us in the history of the church. Chapters 2 and chapters 3 give a revelation, if you will, of the history of church. These seven love letters by Jesus himself to John, who was on the island of Patmos, and he recorded them for us by the Holy Spirit. And it it is a picture of a time that we presently live in. We're living in the church era. But as we transition from chapter 3 into chapter 4, there was an immediate change. John, who was there, said he heard the voice that he had heard previously in heaven, and a door was opened. And he heard the voice like a trumpet say, Come up here! And the Bible tells us that immediately John was in the Spirit, and he was standing in the throne room of God. And there in the midst of the throne room, we have a picture or a type, if you will, of those whose faith is in Jesus Christ presently. There is a day coming in the future where the trumpet will sound and the voice of the archangel will be crying out. And we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be translated, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus we will be with Him forever. It's called the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church and it is a future event and it will include all whose faith is in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And so we see in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 we see a picture of the church which is and will be in heaven. And we are introduced in chapter 5 to a scroll, if you will, a seven sealed scroll. And the seven sealed scroll has writing on the inside of that papyrus and writing on the outside. And we looked and we saw that from Scripture we could discern and interpret that that scroll was, in fact, a title deed to the earth. Adam. Way back in Genesis, when he ate the forbidden fruit, he violated and he forfeited the title deed, if you will. He forfeited the dominion that God had given him. And as a result, in Adam and in Adam's seed, all men, all mankind, right up to present, we are plagued with a sin nature. God has established from before the foundations of the universe that He would come and He would redeem mankind. And what we find in the throne room in heaven in chapter 5 is the title deed. Jesus accomplished redemption when He died upon the cross at Calvary. He validated everything in His resurrection. Three days later, redemption had begun But now some 2,000 years has transpired in human history and church history. And we see in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 He is going to take the scroll and He is going to begin to break the seals which will be the fulfillment of the completion of redemption. He is redeeming. He'll be redeeming us whose faith is in Christ, and He will be redeeming, if you will, the entirety of the universe. And it's exciting. We saw in Revelation chapter 6, the breaking of the seals. We saw so many of those seals broken. Six initially through chapter, all the way through chapter 6. And we saw a number of things transpiring. Literally, the beginning of what is known biblically as the wrath of God. The wrath of God being poured out. And immediately our minds think, we think the wrath of God, is God angry? Well, here's the thing. We serve a just God. He's just. He has given man in His absolute love, He has given man freedom of choice. And man over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Rejects, rejects, and rejects the grace and the love of God. So his justice will be poured out on a Christ-rejecting nation, the nation of Israel, and a Christ-rejecting world, the Gentiles, that will be on the earth in that time. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Well, His justice demands it, number one. Number two, He, all of it, is with purpose of redeeming yet some. You see, in His great love, His desire is for all men to come to repentance. For all men to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God made provision for all men to be saved. All men. And that's good news. That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The reality is, though, so many in the world have rejected, and God's justice demands. You see, the Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's why God became man and shed His blood, that our sin could be forgiven. But He says, the the soul that sins shall surely die. So all men are in need of redemption. Let me say that again. All men are in need of redemption. Every man, woman, and child in this room this morning, that includes you. That includes me. We're in need of redemption. We're all sinners. Whether we simply have inherited through the lineage of humanity from Adam's disobedience, up to the point we're all in this room, unless there's some babies in here, we're all guilty of our own trespasses. We have violated God's rule, God's law, if you will, and therefore we're guilty. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Savior. And so we see God has made provision. Here's the, here's the reality with the provision that God has made there is a requirement for every man, woman, and child to receive what Jesus Christ has accomplished upon the cross at Calvary. The shedding of His blood, we all need to lay claim to what Jesus has accomplished for us. You see, the provision has been made. All sin in Christ is forgiven. We must exercise faith and receive what the Lord has done for us, putting our hope and our faith in Christ. I'm so very excited this morning. We have at least five people who have declared their faith in Christ, and they are going to be declaring it publicly by being baptized in water today. That is going to be a very exciting moment at the conclusion of our service today. And so, to every man, woman, and child that may be in this room today, if you're here today and your faith is not in Christ yet, we want to encourage you. Will you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Will you confess Jesus that you also are a sinner and in need of a Savior. Will you receive Jesus? God's provision. God provided Himself a sacrifice. God became man. He died a substitutionary death. A death that each one of us deserves. He died in our place. That's good news. Someone say amen. Will you receive what He has done? He validated in that death had no hold on Him. He lived a sinless life. He was without the sin nature of Adam. You see, He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He has a different bloodline. The Scripture calls Him the second Adam from above. The first Adam bombed The second Adam did not. Jesus Christ was without sin. Therefore, death had no hold on Him. And He rose again the third day and ascended into heaven. And there He is seated. And we see unfolding in the book of Revelation. He stands up from the throne and He takes the scroll and He begins that next step of redemption. The wrath is being poured out. Now remember, those whose faith is in Jesus, we're not there on earth at that time to participate in that wrath. But keep this in mind for every man, woman, and child who will be, whose faith is not yet in Jesus. God's purpose, even yet in His justice, is that some, would give their hearts to Jesus. The beauty is during those days He does not leave the earth without witness. You see, we come into Revelation chapter 7 and we are there seen 144,000 Jewish males who will receive the seal of God upon their foreheads and they will go out into all the earth and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that midway in chapter 7, we see a multitude of people who receive Christ from their testimony. Thousands upon thousands, innumerable, that will be born again during the days of the tribulation after the rapture of the church. Hey, that's good news. God is in the process in His infinite love redeeming men and women through Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we come to the end of chapter 7 and we discover as the seventh seal is broken, we're introduced to seven trumpets and seven angels. And we saw three things and we looked at it last week. We saw that there was silence in heaven when that last seal was broken. And we heard about the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the saints ascending before the throne of God. And there's an encouragement for us in that that our prayers are before the throne of God perpetually. And that's an encouragement. Maybe you've been believing God for someone. Maybe you've been praying as Pastor Matt prayed for our prodigals. Maybe you've been praying for a son or a daughter or a mom or dad, an aunt or an uncle, a grandchild grandson, granddaughter, that they would return to the Lord. Listen, your prayers are before the throne of God. And the Bible reminds us that He hears the prayers of the righteous. That word hear there means it is a done deal. God emphatically hears our requests. When we don't know what to pray, He interprets even our groans to where He knows what's in our hearts. What we pray, He hears. That's good news. Many of us have had times where we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God helps us when we know not how to pray. Sometimes we might even pray in tongues. The Spirit of God will interpret even our tongues when we know not what we're praying. It's one of the manifestations of of the Spirit of God. And it's a beautiful thing. And so all those things being said, we see this redemption. We see the seventh seal. We see the silence. We hear the prayers. And then we're introduced to these seven angels and they're given seven trumpets. They represent the seven trumpet judgments that are about to unfold. Chapter 8 delineates the first four of these judgments. They are known in theology as the one third judgments. The one third judgments. The first trumpet is sounded, and hail and fire are thrown mingled with blood. And this is chapter 8, verse 7. And it says, They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The first third. The trees and the grass are consumed. Many have had conjecture that maybe this is some kind of a World War III. Maybe there is a nuclear holocaust that uh, transpires. And all of the grass is consumed and a third of the trees is consumed. Well, it could be. What we do know is something supernatural transpires. An angel blows a trumpet and something transpires. Hailstones. Fire. Mingled with blood. Here's what we do know this too. God has already done this before. Remember the ten plagues and the children of Egypt living in the land of Goshen and the Egyptians. One of the plagues was hail and fire. Listen, America did a nuclear bomb test on one of the islands, one of the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. A two. And when they tested that nuclear bomb, the water that was near the nuclear explosion was cast so high into the atmosphere from the ocean that it froze and it rained down large hailstones upon the battleships that were filming the test. Fire from the bomb. Hailstones. Could it be a nuclear activity? It could be. What we do know is it's going to have an impact on the trees and the grass. The next trumpet sounds, verse 8. The second trumpet sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Most of us can have an imagination here. Is this a meteorite that might strike somewhere in the ocean? Imagine a meteorite striking the ocean and what would happen in relationship to all of the oceans of the world being impacted by that initial contact. A tremendous wave. I've seen on the Discovery Channel in Alaska when the side of a mountain slid into a fjord and the causing of that mountain sliding in was an earthquake, but the landmass hitting the water pushed the water to the entire other side of the fjord and a wave of over 300 feet in height went up onto the side of that mountain over 700 feet and cleared all vegetation in one shot. I shared, I think, on Sunday night a couple of weeks ago that there was actually a father and his son in their boat fishing on that fjord. They rode the wave, and the wave discarded them 700 feet up on the side of the mountain. They both survived. That must have been something. Do you think they might have faith in God now? That must have been terrifying. The third trumpet is going to sound. And when it sounds, the Bible says, And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. It was made bitter. It is noteworthy that it is very possible that this star that fell from heaven, John, on the island of Patmos, sometime around 96 A.D., not necessarily being able to equate what he sees, he might be actually seeing a missile coming from the sky, burning with the tail. And as a result, water being contaminated. Is this some kind of nuclear weaponry? It is noteworthy, and I've heard guys like Chuck Missler, I've heard guys like Chuck Smith and others, uh, John Corson and some of these other Bible teachers who have equated wormwood in Russian is pronounced Chernobyl. It's possible that there's a contamination of the fresh water due to some nuclear fallout, and those who drink die. As a result, could be some radiocarbon. We don't know what it would be. But we simply know something terrible is going to happen. The fourth trumpet sounds. The heavens are struck. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars are darkened so that a third of the day and a third of the night don't give their lights. Don't know what's transpiring here. Something on a cosmic scale. A cosmic scale. It's very possible that the UV rays coming from our sun somehow are darkened again so that eventually, forthcoming in the millennial reign of Christ, men will live longer like as was in the days prior to the flood. I'll leave that with you to do a little study on your own. We come into chapter 9. I'm almost to our text this morning. This is all precursor. We come to chapter 9. We see the fifth trumpet sounded. We find in chapter 9 the fifth and the sixth trumpets are sounded. We've seen the one-third judgments, those first four trumpets. The next two trumpets... Be, just before we get into chapter 9, we're introduced to an angel that is making a proclamation in the heavens and he says, Whoa, 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 Because of the next soundings of the three angels. Whoa, woe, woe. Prepare yourself. These are more devastating than the preceding. The preceding trumpets and the preceding seals. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The fifth trumpet sounds. There is one who is given the key to the bottomless pit. It is a star, but this particular star is an individual. I myself believe that it is Satan himself. And he goes and he unlocks the bottomless pit. And from the bottomless pit, We see an army. It appears to be some form of demonic army. Here's the interesting part associated with this their terror, if you will, upon mankind is so severe that men will literally seek death, but death will elude them for that five month period. How many of you think that would be very scary? Yeah, that would be scary. Emphasis with yikes. I mean, I have what I would consider a high tolerance for pain. Don't believe anything my wife might tell you. <laughs> I can't even fathom what pain would be like when Men and women will seek death as a result of the pain. And death will elude them. That is a very scary thought. It lasts for five months. We see another trumpet is sounded and then we're introduced to another army. It appears to be something in a supernatural realm. We see the enumeration. John says, I saw the number of them. Two hundred million That is no small army. And they are going about and they are given power to destroy one-third of mankind. One-third of mankind will die. The way with which they die, you see, these troops that are on these horses that seem to be somewhat supernatural, they have like the head of a lion and from their mouths come forth fire and brimstone and smoke. And it is those three plagues wherewith one-third of mankind will die. We come to this morning's text at the tail end of chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. And before we read these two verses, if what we just in narrative form went through was enough to say, I don't want to be here then. That would be very good. For those whose faith is already in Christ, good news, we won't be here. We won't be here. If your faith today is not in Christ, you will. You will. However, if you will confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Woo! Yeah, come on! that's good news would we'll be saved people say saved from what <laughs> read revelation chapter 8 and 9 saved from the wrath of god saved from god's redeeming exercise of justice on a Christ rejecting nation and a Christ rejecting He's redeeming. We come to verse 20. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of their works, of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. They didn't repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I think you probably can imagine in your mind if you were there and you knew that those levels of disobedience were the cause of all of that and you had to experience all that, you might decide, I don't think I'm going to live that way anymore because it doesn't pay what I thought it would pay. The benefit of those behaviors didn't pan out What I thought it would pan out. They didn't repent. They didn't repent. And we'll be introduced in the weeks to come. And I'd invite you to come on Sunday night when we do a verse by verse study through this. We'll be introduced to really the remaining portion of what is going to transpire. And there's still much that is going to happen. But today, I want us to just focus and think about those words. They did not repent. You see, we're here today, and for most, our faith is in Christ. God calls us as His followers to follow. The example of Christ. God has saved us from a life that we once lived. In fact, Paul wrote and he said these things. Let me actually come to my notes. He said to the Ephesians, In past times you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We used to walk under the control, if you will, of Satan himself and Satan's organization, the demonic forces. We once walked that way. He says, under the prince of the power of the air, that even now works in the children of disobedience. He encourages us to love not the things of this world. You see, the love of the world for the believer is a competing love for the love of God. And I'd like to say to everyone whose faith is in Christ today, they did not repent of their idol worship. In all reality, their idol worship was in fact worshiping demons. Jesus even said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is a false god. We cannot serve both God and man. And to the believer, perhaps you're here today and I want to just encourage you, we have reason. We have reason. God is so loving. God is so good. He has already done so much for us. If you're here today and maybe when we think about what we might be putting in front of our passion for our Father in Heaven, our passion for Jesus the Son, our passion for the Kingdom of God, those things that take a preeminence over that, I would encourage you today to repent of those passions that are before your passion for God. In the text, they didn't repent. We have the opportunity to renounce the former way of living when we once lived under that rule of the prince of the power of the air. We're no longer there. The Scripture says we no longer live. By the law of sin and death. But we now as believers, those whose faith is in Christ, we are now under the law of life in the Spirit. That's exciting. Hallelujah. But sometimes we yield ourselves to the law of sin and death by where we place our affections where we place our adorations, where we place our passions. In the Old Testament times, in biblical times, if pleasure was your God, you were a worshiper of Molech. The children of Israel intermarried with the nations surrounding them and they began to worship idols so much so the depravity of worship wrap yourself around this for a moment the depravity of their worship of pleasure led them to the place that they would literally this idol in a alloyed metal state on a fire was a image of Molech whose hands were extended forward and the children of Israel would take their children when it was glowing hot and they would sacrifice their kids. We say, how could that be? How could anyone do something like that? And yet today, so many sacrifice their kids to whatever is happening from Hollywood, television, the movies, the music industry. We simply let it go. And we're letting a generation go. God help. I know that doesn't happen in the church predominantly, but it can happen. If education Wisdom and knowledge is our God. We're worshipers of Baal or Baal, a Phoenician God that we're introduced to in the Old Testament, and we see. If our God is the desire for power, Mammon is our God. If it is sexual desire that controls our life, we are worshipers of Asherah. Listen, the Bible says and encourages us, if you're a believer in Jesus today, Jesus Christ has given us power over the things of the flesh. That's good news. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ, who strengthens us. He has given us power to trample upon snakes and scorpions, and all of the power of the evil one. There is some controlling passions in your life as a follower of Jesus that are other than God. I want to encourage you today. Repentance begins with a godly sorrow. I realize, I have misappropriate affections. Lord, I'm sorry about that. But don't mistake being sorry for repentance. You see, sorrow that's godly sorrow will produce in a man repentance, which means a turning away and going away from that thing. And here's the thing. In our flesh, we don't have the power to break those affections. We don't have the power to break those attractions. We don't have the power But in Christ Jesus, we have the power to simply walk away. The cords of sin are broken in Jesus. The chains that hold men fast are broken. That's excellent news. So to every person whose faith is in Christ today, If repentance is necessary in your life, will you turn from those things and turn your affection, turn your adorations, turn your worship to the Lord? We talked about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Here's in spirit and in truth. When no one else is watching, who are you worshiping? You see, we can do this on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. And everybody thinks, oh, he's a worshiper. But that may not be worshiping in truth. It could be a facade. You know what's going on in the heart. And if there's other things in the heart, we need to repent. Can someone say amen? Amen. Here's the beauty. It doesn't happen overnight. Thanks be to God for His sanctification. It's a process. We have several this morning who have jumped in that journey. They've jumped in that journey. They're born again. And they want to make a public declaration. They're dead to their former way of living and buried But they're raised anew in Christ Jesus.